Hello everyone. Welcome with Le Pop Scientific uh, podcast and videocast here um, with me, Bart van Buchem, pain uh, specialist physiotherapist. And with me today is John Stone, uh, neurologist um, in Edinburgh, professor at the hospital in Edinburgh, um, if I'm saying this correctly, um, John. Um, yes, I'm at the, right? at the uh, yeah. Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh. And uh, yeah, and the, and so I'm a so I'm a consultant neurologist and um, yeah, professor of neurology at the at the University of Edinburgh. Thank you uh, for joining me, John. It's been a, it's a pleasure. Um, uh, John has a very special interest in FND, functional neurological di disorders, and um, it's been um, lots of uh, published uh, papers about that. Um, also running or been uh, in heavily involved with the FND Society, and um, um, I appreciate your work. Uh, and um, I love to see the crosslinks and this, the, how this goes with pain, um, because these two areas is not maybe they do have a lot in common. And as a clinician, I would see this as a challenging combination in the first place. Um, but it, I don't see a lot of crosslinks between papers and it's not being discussed widely. Um, like uh, pain is not a part of neurology and maybe uh, FND is not part of the pain problem. So, um, and I like the, um, the, the paper that came out in 2018 by, uh, by Stoyan Popkirov uh, and Ingrid uh, Huritzauer, which, which you were leading this group, the two people from your lab. Um, and I really recommend everyone to read it. I will leave a, a link in the in the notes if you like, um, so you can read it. So this, uh, despite all of this um, paper, was complex uh, regional pain syndrome and functional neurological disorders. Time for reconciliation. So um, maybe that's a nice start here, John, um, to to start where where your where where did your F and D. Um, well, let's say your passion. <laughs> Is it a passion, actually? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I guess I'm guessing your audience know what FND is or how it's defined, but I don't. I, I, I wonder if it's just worth just clarifying that just before we begin. Because Absolutely. Let's let's do that. Sometimes there is a bit of confusion about that because people think sometimes use the term FND to describe any functional disorder. Um, whereas it really is more specifically those disorders of the voluntary motor and sensory system where people are presenting with limb weakness, paralysis, sensory disturbance, movement disorder, including dystonia, which is obviously relevant here, um, and also things like seizures. So it does have a very specific um, remit. You know, it's not all, it's not all symptoms. And the other important change that some of the pain listeners with in the pain world might not be fully aware of is that the the, the kind of the other changes to the to the way we think about it are, are particularly thinking about it as a diagnosis of inclusion now rather than exclusion so 20 years ago when i started these were there was a tendency just to diagnose fnd when all the tests were normal uh, which is a really terrible way of making any diagnosis um, and it's a good way of getting things wrong Whereas I think we've 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 relearned that there are very specific features of FND like Hoover sign, tremor entrainment test, uh, typical features of functional dystonia, and that's how 
that's how I would make the diagnosis and not on the basis of um, whether someone is stressed or not, whether they've got psychiatric history, whether they've just some sort of life event has just happened. These are all risk factors in some people, but not everybody. So I suppose I just want to get that out because it, it can't really be said enough. I think there's still a lot of misconception about uh, older ideas about this, about FND being conversion disorder or a purely psychiatric disorder have uh, we're really trying to get really trying to get rid of those ideas I think without without getting rid of uh, the importance of psychological factors in some in many patients um, mm -hmm. yeah we wrote we 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 came at this uh, problem of complex regional pain syndrome because I had a bit out of frustration with that um, the literature appeared to be uh, pitting, it was putting CRPS and FND against each other as if you had to sort of choose between them. Either, you know, there've been, there've been lots of articles over the years with um, people saying, well, CRPS, look at the, you know, look at the motor and sensory features of CRPS. They are hysteria or it's all psychogenic and people writing it's a psychogenic disorder. And then pain, pain docs and other people, specialists saying, no, hang on a minute. Look at the, look at the biology of this disorder. Look at the, look at what's going on in the periphery uh, with swelling and um, inflammatory changes. And uh, how, how dare you suggest that this problem is psychogenic? And so it was a very uh, combative um, sort of environment. And uh, we, uh, you know, the, the sort of changes in thinking about FND over the last um, 20 years are, are quite profound, really. And uh, we now have a view of FND, which does, of course, include the brain, because what other organ would it be that causes people to have paralysis and tremor and seizures? So there is a biology, there's a neurobiology of FND. And so our new understanding of FND, I think, allows us to to reconcile these issues of FND and CRPS, and say, well, look at look at all the all the overlap here, the clinical overlap, and what can FND teach us about CRPS, and what can CRPS and all the science done there teach us about FND? Yeah. And what would be your um, what have you learned from CRPS? Um, in, in that direction. So what have you learned from the CRPS diagnosis and the literature perhaps to guide uh, your research for FND? Well, I think maybe it's worth just pointing out what the, what the overlap is um, to answer that Yeah, question. sure. I mean, you know, CRPS, of course, is, is almost defined by the fact that there's, a, there's some sort of physical inciting trigger um, I appreciate it, not always, but usually there is, isn't there? there's a fracture or something. And I suppose, and, and whereas FND was thought to be always triggered by stress, what, what we found looking at the, you know, my own uh, PhD 20 years ago, and also actually just going back over the literature from 100 years ago, was, was a recognition of just how common physical, those same physical injury triggers were for FND. So probably 
that's at least as important as stressful life events is the fact that people will often get FND after they've injured their limb uh, or they've had a physical, they've had a, a some other infectious illness, um, migraine, for example, waking up with sleep paralysis. These are all things that can trigger FND. So um, the the importance of those uh, very you know a new sensory motor experience that the person has never had before in shaping a symptom where there's uh, a problem with neuroplasticity, where the brain gets stuck in a way of moving and sensing uh, that it didn't have before. I think those are, there are very strong parallels there between CRPS and FND. Um, so that was that was one very strong parallel. The other one, of course, is the is the I mean the motor and sensory features of CRPS are those of FND, and I, I know people will try and have have suggested it might be slightly different, but I've not seen any convincing uh, arguments really or descriptions to the contrary. Certainly, when I see patients with CRPS, they've got they've got a tremor in their arm; it's a functional tremor. They've got a dystonia. Is exactly the same as people that we see with functional dystonia. They'll often have, you know, people talk about neglect-like phenomenon in CRPS, um, where, you know, but which are really the same as the phenomenon that we're seeing in FND. So patients will say things like, it's not part of my body. Um, well, that's what people with FND say. They're describing dissociative symptoms related to the limb. It's if it sounds and, and is plausibly uh, a form of protective response. So the person's got terrible pain in their limb, their brain's trying to shut the pain down. In doing so, it shuts down the limb. Um, that shutting down of the limb is exactly what we see in FND. So for me, all of the, um, the, the those motor and sensory features, the subjective experience are all the same. Um, and this is why people, this is what people were looking at when they were making these arguments. And I think the, 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 the prior literature in CRPS was very concerned with trying to sort of get away from that similarity. Whereas I think now we can uh, almost embrace it and say, yeah, that is the same. And because there's, there are processes in the brain are probably quite similar in terms of, in terms of what's happening. And also, people with FND, most of them have pain. So these are not two discrete disorders. They are, they are strongly overlapping. Um, but we don't need to, and that could be a worry for people with a stigma, but I would just say, well, we're trying really hard to stop people stigmatizing FND. You know? so, so I think we need to just try and get rid of that view that this is a, this is a disorder that would taint, taint your understanding of, of CRPS. Yeah, so these motor symptoms, symptoms and perhaps these sensory symptoms are very, are very similar, and I, I, I see that totally. Uh, what we don't see in FND typically is swelling and these typical signs of, of, of CRPS, which probably makes it, the diagnosis CRPS because it's the having the very explicit um objectable objective yeah you can you can see what's happening right with the swelling and the hair growth uh if that happens yes that's right 
So I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely right. And the, those changes do occur, don't they, very commonly. And they're often, they're often quite early on as well. So there is, and, and all of the, you know, the things about you know, an inflammatory change or sympathetic change, that's all going on. Um, and I think you said earlier, what, what have I learned about FND? Well, the, probably that we're not studying those things enough in FND, that there probably are similar inflammatory changes. We know there's a lot of, there's a lot of research on inflammation in a whole range of central brain disorders, including things like uh, major depression, for example. So um, I think we've got to be open to thinking about having a sort of model of this, which, in, which can include, uh, you know, TNF alpha in the periphery, but also includes neuroplasticity in the brain. And, the, and perhaps, you know, one follows the other. I don't, you know, there's, I don't think we really understand, do we, why there's such a strong inflammatory response and swelling and, um, we don't. We haven't got to the bottom of that, um, and I suppose the question is: Is that something separate to FND? It could be, couldn't it? That could be a different kind of condition. Um, but what happens down the line once someone has had that some sort of acute inflammatory, incredibly painful experience? What that does to their brain and their limb? That that later bit where they have their brain is learning to shut down the limb. Um, there's a change in brain plasticity. That bit seems very similar to FND. So we don't have to sort of say that the whole thing is the same, but it's about saying maybe part of it is. By your knowledge, are there other conditions that do have these similarities as CRPS has? Do you mean in the do you mean in the inflammatory part? Or, if you like, yes, uh, in the symptoms. So yeah, yeah. I think I think perhaps most strikingly, I, I suppose the what I was saying earlier about being a physical a, a, a very defined physical trigger for a functional disorder is something that you'd see carried over to many areas. So. Uh, for example, patients with um, the condition triple PD, persistent postural perceptual dizziness, that's a disorder where people have relentless feelings of dizziness, usually triggered by a, some kind of vestibular event. They've had BPPV or vestibular neuronitis, which is you can which you know happened. But then the experience of being uh, dizzy like that, which is often surprising and scary and disabling is enough to change the brain such that the person what you know even though the vestibular neuronitis is gone the the kind of program in the brain for dizziness has got lodged in there and it won't go away now that those that sort of language is very similar to how we talk about chronic pain now of of, you know, of any kind occurring after injury you think about um people with minor brain injuries who have you know, have had a minor traumatic brain injury, and then for at least three months, they're having symptoms like um, fatigue and headache and dizziness and dissociation, which are kind of directly related to the fact they've had a brain injury. And whereas most of those people improve, some people after three months or thereabouts 
just carry on having the same symptoms as if their brain is stuck in the original injury, um, can't move on and can't de de adapt to the fact that the that the that the damage is has gone or been healed. So I, I do see a lot of parallels there. I do wonder if the you know, these inflammatory changes are like sort of hyper acute response to injury. They're, they're part of the normal response, but it's a normal response gone a bit mad. Um, and then the then the later response is um, is this problem with failure to adapt to recovery in a way. You know, it's just a persistent. It's the, and patients will often say that when you say it's a bit like your brain is, still thinks the injury happened yesterday. They'll say, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's like it just happened yesterday. Um, so I wonder if people's brains are in that state for a lot of these disorders. Yes. So um, thank you for so far, uh, John. This is very interesting. I think we've got a few questions uh, on this. Um, just for the listeners now, um, if you want to watch this full episode, just go to our website, lipupscientific.com, and you can see the full episode. So thank you for listening in for this podcast. And um, we will um, follow up right now with uh, some other questions. So thank you, John. Mm-hmm.